So, so just to clarify, you have the Bible the whole time. You just... <laughs> Somebody at the church must have stolen it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How funny. So good morning, all. Um, just uh, I don't know if uh, Brandon's joining us online or not, but uh, he's home sick and with a sick child. So, yeah, I think all three, honestly. But I think the one, I think they've just kind of been passing back and forth to each other. So immediately right now, it's Thaden, it's the baby. But I think the other two have been sick too. So, I, you know. Me personally, I'm like, suck it up, man. There's, there's stuff to get done. Yeah, there's stuff to get done, but, you know, whatever. Some people just aren't like me, I guess. Some people You know, uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't the case either. So, um, do I? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I did say that to my kids all the time. Get up. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I did that to Lindsay once. Yeah. If you will just stop crying and sit down and breathe, and you'll be just fine. Yeah. Come to find out her elbow was broken. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I've I've been there, too. There's I, I made Tyson one time when he was a kid. Um, uh, He's probably five or six years old. Uh, but he was out at, at church camp with us, and he fell, Uh, and he was crying about his, his knee hurting, and I was just like, dry it up, man, you're fine, you know, and he just, he kept crying, and I, but all the kids were like, over in this area, I was like, stand behind this tree until you stop crying, because, you know, and I just get mad at him, and then I look, and, and from underneath the, the edge of his shorts, like, this blood started coming down his leg, I was like, oh, and kind of looked it up, and he had a big old gash in his knee, I was like, well, that's a problem, let's, you know, so, so being the good dad that I was, I sent him off with somebody else to go get a Band-Aid, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, I no. It wasn't that deep. I'm I'm the wrong person to come to when somebody's hurt. I'm like, ah, you'll be all right. But I'm that way myself too. I'm like, ah, I'll be fine. You know. So. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Did you really? Yeah. Five dollars for perfect attendance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how funny, <laughs> how funny. I And it's not, that, honestly, it's not that I didn't care about my kids. And I I got, if they were hurt, I took care of it. But there were sometimes it's like, man, I'll go get a drink and you'll be fine. Like, don't be dramatic. That was, but I'm that way, I was kind of that way, like, with other people's children, too, is the problem. Like, the kids that I coached, you know, because depending on what kind of upbringing they had, some of these parents, they coddled their kids so much that the tiniest little thing, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's going to hurt in football when you get tackled. Get up. You're fine. You know, just so. Yeah, that's right. Well, so I remember one time in a game, uh, Tyson, he's probably like fourth grade, I think, and uh, he was trying to tackle somebody. Well, the kid was running with the ball and just, I mean, just, just the way it happened real quick, just the top of his helmet went right in his gut and just knocked the wind out of him, you know. He made the tackle, but then 
there was a timeout, so the team comes over, and I'm telling them some different things, and then everybody's going back out, and he's he's like, Dad, I can't, I just, you know, and he's got tears, and he's like, I can't breathe. And I'm like, all right, put your hands up above your head, put them up on your helmet, and he does. It's like, take two big breaths, and he does. And then the ref, you know, blows whistle, I'm like, all right, get back out there. <laughs> and so he goes running out, and I can see him wiping tears out from underneath his face mask and stuff. Yeah, dad of the year. That's that's who I was. Anyway, uh, this is our last time to get together before Christmas and before New Year's and all that. So, uh, you know, I thought um, I'd give us a little bit more Christmas trivia. I think most of this, um, you know, is is new information or at least new to me. So, uh, but I'm going to go through these kind of quick. I'm going to keep an eye on the clock too because I don't want to spend too much time on it. But some of these are really easy. I I, I wanted to do some things where you guys you you can prove. Your knowledge and um, just you know your your Christmas uh, awareness skills. Okay, so um, which popular Christmas beverage is also called milk punch? Eggnog. Eggnog. Very good. So from now on, if you've never heard that before, call it milk punch. Yeah. Uh, how many ghosts in the? Oh, okay. How many ghosts show up in the Christmas Carol? Or because there's past, present, future, but there's also Jacob Marley that says you got four ghosts coming. So there's four. Trick question. Um, what are the traditional, I, I say traditional because the only thing is even part of our tradition anymore, but the, tradi the traditional 12 days of Christmas. Like there's the song, but there are, or at least there used to be actually 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. Uh-huh. Pretty close, yeah. So starting on the day after Christmas. So Christmas is Christmas Day, and then the, it's the 12 days after that. So it's the last six days of the old year and the first six days of the new year. Isn't that also called Boxing Day? Yeah, Boxing Day, is that in Canada or is that in England? Yeah. Is it in England too? I knew, I knew Canada had it. Uh, what country has the most reindeer? Actual reindeer. Not the North Pole. What country? It's not Canada, not Greenland. It's actually Norway. Norway has the most reindeer. Who knew? Um, how many Scrabble points, not on the board, but just based on the, the points on the letters themselves, how many Scrabble points for the word Christmas? <laughs> That's too much. Too much. It's actually 16. Did you say 17? You're really close. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She would, she would have gotten it. Yeah, I know. That's my fault. I jumped on it. What is Frosty the Snowman's nose made of? It's not a carrot. It's not coal. Button. A button. Yeah. With a corn cob pipe and a button nose and two eyes made out of coal. Uh... Which U.S. president was the first to decorate the White House Christmas tree? No, way before. Uh, after him. Mm -hmm. Franklin Pierce. Franklin Pierce. <coughs> yeah. Which I can't remember. I'd have to go back through the list. Was he the one right before Lincoln or two before Lincoln? Was he the Pierce Buchanan Lincoln or Buchanan Pierce Lincoln? I can't remember which one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> the, well, because I've watched some biographies on different presidents and stuff. That's the only reason. And, and that sticks out to me because the guy before Lincoln did such a bad job. It was so criticized that when they when the inauguration happened he told Lincoln if you are as happy as to get this job as I am to be leaving it you must be the happiest man in the world like that was like he was ready to be done <clears throat> uh, the most popular toy of 1980 right 1980 nope cabbage patch just a little bit a little bit after um, 1980 it was designed by a professor of architecture in Budapest to teach his students 
about spatial awareness. The Rubik's Cube, did you give away when I did that right there? The Rubik's Cube was the most popular toy in 1980. Do you know what a Rubik's Cube is? Okay, just checking. 1980 is before your time, that's why I was asking. Do they still, they still make them? Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, so which U.S. president banned Christmas trees in the White House? <laughs> That's really funny. It wasn't him, though. Yes, it was. Yeah, Theodore Roosevelt. And I didn't look up why, but apparently he banned Christmas trees in the White House. Maybe so. <laughs> he might have been. Um, okay. True or false? This is going to be a really easy one. You got 50-50 chance. True or false? Iceland has 13 Santas that visit throughout December. It is true. They call them the Yule Lads. The what? Yule Lads. Wow. I thought you said Yule Bags. Nope. Yule Lads. <laughs> yeah. Yule Lads. I, I think there's just different days where a certain Santa comes to visit. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't look. I didn't look up more about it. I know. I should have, and I didn't. I apologize. Why do they have? Why do they call them mule lads? What do they do? Um, okay. What? Oh, different saints. Yeah, it could be. Mm -hmm. Could be. What are the uh, in the movie Elf? What are the four main food groups for elves, according to Buddy? We got candy canes and syrup. No, no. It's not sugar. It's candy, candy, candy corn, candy canes, and syrup. Well, because it's not Christmas all the time. They can have candy corn. No, that's, it's not Christmas all the time. So they eat candy corn when it's not Christmas time. I think there's still some in the kitchen, honestly, um, that's been sitting in a bowl for a while. But anyway, candy, candy corn, candy canes, and syrup. Okay, another one from Elf. What did Buddy, um, he, when he writes his note of apology, he says uh, that he crammed something into the VCR. What did he cram into the VCR? It wasn't spaghetti. No. Because he's writing on the Etch-A-Sketch, and he says, I'm sorry that I like, messed everything up or whatever, and I'm sorry that I crammed 11 cookies into the VCR. Oh. 11 cookies. Yeah, and puts the syrup on it, and then, well, and then he takes Pop-Tarts and breaks them on top of it, and then just grabs it with his hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah she's like buddy made his breakfast and then he answers the zip back he's like and lunch she's like and lunch yeah uh y'all need to y'all need to it's still it's still not my top three but it's it's definitely it's probably in the top five but i'm anyway overall uh, christmas movies christmas movies, not overall but christmas for sure yeah um, which you'll have a chance, I think, whatever station does uh, a Christmas story for 24 hours. Okay, I think, like, on, like it's like TBS is doing one and TNT is doing the other, something like that, where they're doing 24 hours of Elf. So you'll get a chance if you want to see it. <laughs> uh, in, <laughs> in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, what's the name of the Elf that wants to become a dentist? The the show the the claymation show Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. There's the elf that wants to become a dentist. Okay, I'm not saying it because Lou's gonna get on to me if I say it too soon. Mm -hmm. No. It's it's Hermie. Hermie. 
Hermy, H-E-R-M-E-Y, Hermy. Short for Herman, it's Hermy. Uh, in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, what's the name of the town that George Bailey lives in? Close, you're almost there. Bedford Falls. Bedford Falls. Except for a little snippet where it's Potterstown or Pottersville. Yeah, Pottersville, I think. Uh, in Christmas Vacation, what did Clark Griswold's boss give him instead of a Christmas bonus? A one-year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. Clark, that's the gift that keeps giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. That it is. Um, it's No, number one is probably A Christmas Story. But Christmas Vacation is probably number two. No, I have I, I'm not sure if I'm going to. Huh? Fred Claus? It is steadily climbing. I love Fred Claus. Uh, Y'all need to watch it if you haven't seen it. It's on it's on Netflix or something like that. Where, yeah, they've all or not all, but a lot of the the original actors that played his kids is them as adults now. So it's like Ralphie as an adult trying to have Christmas and yeah, but see, like I I don't want it to ruin. Yeah, I'm just um, I don't know. I can't decide. Anyway, uh, let's see. Oh, in a Christmas story, Ralphie decodes. A message with his secret decoder ring. Maybe y'all don't know much about this movie. What is the message that he decodes? Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. It's a crummy commercial. Um, what language does Ralphie's father think the word fragile is when he gets his prize? But what language does he think? Italian, yeah. Ah, fragile. Must be Italian. I think that says fragile. <laughs> so a few years ago, when we went to California, with, with, we went to L.A. with our family. We took a tour of Warner Brothers, and we got to go through, like, basically their huge prop warehouse. I've got a picture somewhere on my phone of the leg lamp it's just sitting over in this room like no like just this random piece of furniture among a whole bunch of other and i was like oh anyway it's a what it's a lamp oh a leg lamp for <laughs> yeah with like orthopedic shoes and yeah okay how funny Yes, yes, he ordered one. Um, last one. How many new, and this is for, for 2022, how many new Christmas movies did Hallmark release this year? Oh, my goodness. 365. <laughs> Seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah. How many new ones? They, they do some reruns, too, but how many new ones did they do? Not quite that many. <laughs> A little bit less. over it's 40. They did 40, which to me is still like way high. Yeah. Yeah. 40. Yeah. 40 movies that are all the same plot. The exact same plot. So, I was going to say, your daughter loves Hallmark movies. There's always a happy ending. Yep. Now they got competition because, like, Lifetime has completely, at least for the month of December, has flipped where they're doing all these, all these like Hallmark kind of movies. I I don't know if they've made their own or if they're just, I don't know. I don't know all the details. Scoop and a half. You're welcome. I know how to. I know how to make it. I got instructed. Okay, so okay, it's a scoop and a half.
I've been told that white scoop that's in there, a full scoop and then a half scoop. Scoop and a half. Scoop and a half. That's why y'all like coffee on Tuesdays when you come to class and the coffee is so much better. This is why. Yes, ma'am. Haystack candies out of chow mein noodles. I've never heard of this ever. You bought the noodles not knowing how to make whatever you're going to make with the noodles. <laughs> did, did you think that once you bought the noodles, it would come back to you? <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Let's. <laughs> maybe she's baking. You're baking the no-bake cookies. That's the problem. Okay. We're we're. We're going to look at uh, Micah today. So if you got your, so if you got your Bibles, your Bible apps, get to yes, yeah. Did you even have to ask? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. These are no bake rum. It's just like grab some cake batter and dunk it in a thing of rum. Anyway, all right. We're in Micah. Um, I don't know how much you guys um, even know very much about Micah because, uh, you know, scripture doesn't really tell us a whole lot about him. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background information, and then we'll get into um, some of his some of his message. If you look there uh, in chapter one, Micah chapter one and verse one, it says, "I'll go ahead and read it because there's a um, couple of hard words." Uh, the word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and this is the vision that he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Okay, so it tells you who he is. And kind of gives you a little bit of at least a, a, a time frame um, of, of, of when he was um, prophesying. So Morsheth um, was just this little kind of, it would be like a farming community in, in, in our context nowadays. And, I mean, if you look on the map over here, it would be kind of over on the western part of um, Judah, um, Really on the on the Philistine on the on the border with with the Philistine kingdom. As a matter of fact, there's there's um, some references to being called Morsheth Gath, like it like and Gath was a a territory in, in a, a Philistine territory. So it's just right there on that border. Um, but there's not a whole lot that we know about that town. There's not a whole lot that we know about you know just kind of the area. It's just a, a rural uh, area. So there's something automatically. A similarity that automatically comes to the front with Micah and Amos. If y'all remember, I was talking about Amos. He was a he was a farmer. He wasn't like a professional uh, prophet. He wasn't a, a religious leader. Uh, he was a shepherd and a a fig tree farmer. Um, and God gave him a message to go preach. So Micah's kind of the same way. It's not that he has. It doesn't appear to be that he has this um, this upbringing. Uh, you know, as, as a priest or some kind of a religious person. You know, we don't know his background before he started prophesying. We just know God gave him messages to preach and he started preaching. Um, and then the, the, the specific people that he mentions uh, prophesying during, these are all kings of Judah, okay? Um, remember, we got our two kingdoms. We got Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Uh, when Micah started prophesying with Jotham, um, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, Israel was still, at this point, was still a country. Now, we've, we've talked about, like, Jeroboam II, that was the king of Israel, and all the wealth and the power that, 
that he had when uh, Amos was prophesying, when Jonah was prophesying. But now we're probably a good at least 20 years further down the road, maybe a little more. And things have started to fall apart for Israel. And the kingdom of Assyria, you remember us talking about them uh, when um, um, Jonah had to go preach at, at Nineveh you know, to the Assyrians, and they were just starting to grow in their power. Uh, the Assyrian Empire has started, which, again, you can't see on this map, but it would be up in this area of here, uh, in, in the area of, of modern-day Iraq. Um, but it, it has started to flex its muscles and move west. So it's taking over territory directly to the north of Israel, all the way to uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and is starting to move south. Okay? Um, so Israel is losing territory, is losing power, and all the, the nations in this whole area, I mean, we got Israel and Judah, but you got the, the, um, um, the Syrians, you got the, the Moabites, you got the Edomites, they're all worried about this Assyrian power um, that, that's moving south when Micah um, is prophesying. But he only mentions prophesying uh, with these kings of Judah. And probably one of the reasons is because if it's these three kings, Israel ends up getting conquered and destroyed during this time. So um, he's only, or whoever wrote down his words, if it's not him writing them down himself, um, is only focused on who was reigning in, in um, Judah at the time. But with him prophesying during these guys' reigns, that makes him a contemporary of Isaiah, um, probably Hosea. You know, we just got done talking about um, Hosea. Um, so he's probably a contemporary of those guys and, and prophesying at about the same time. Um, like I said, in Israel, things are falling apart. It's all evil kings. They are, are still continuing in idol worship. They um, are assassinating each other and taking over the throne. And the guy reigns for you know a few months and somebody assassinates him. And it's just, it's turmoil. Um, and eventually the Assyrians come and, and um, conquer Israel, conquer, as, as he calls it here, Samaria, which was the capital of Israel. Uh, and takes a lot of the Israelites away, deports them somewhere else, slaughters a bunch of them, and deports them somewhere else, and brings people from other countries in there. Um, just, I, I won't go too far down this road. Y'all know me, I like getting into the Old Testament kings, but I'm not going to go too far into that today. But, yeah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the one who is um, uh, reigning in, in Judah when the Assyrians come and surround the city of Jerusalem. Uh, I don't know if y'all remember the story or not, but but the Assyrians offer uh, for the people of Judah to surrender, and their officials are like, you know what, you just lay down your arms and and just come with us, and we're going to take you to a wonderful place, a new home. There's rivers and trees and all sorts. It's just going to be great, which was a lie, but they were telling them that, you know. Uh, and Hezekiah, you know, they're walled up inside the city of Jerusalem. He's like, y'all need to hang tough. Y'all need to hang tough. You stay with us. Stay, you know, God's going to take care of us. And um, this is both in Second uh, Kings and Second Chronicles and in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is there telling Hezekiah, God's going to take care of you. He's going to rescue you. And he does. And it's one night in the middle of the night is when the death angel comes through and kills 185,000 Assyrian troops. And whoever's left goes back home, you know, to Assyria. And so Judah survives the advance of the Assyrian Empire, okay? Micah gets to witness all that too. He doesn't, we don't get those details from him. We see that in Isaiah, but he's prophesying at the same time. He gets to see all that. Does that make sense? So um, when we read about some of the things that, that Micah is dealing with, I, I just want you to understand the context. Um, the other thing is about, you know, Jotham was actually a pretty good king. He uh, was trying to do things that, that God wanted him to do. He was trying to, you know, uh, help the people um, at least continue their temple worship. But if you read through Second um, Kings, Second Chronicles, you find out that he didn't completely get rid of other gods and goddesses in the country. It was kind of a, okay, we really need to worship God, but if you're going to worship these other gods, just kind of keep it to yourself, you know, kind of thing. Uh, Ahaz uh, went completely other, the other way, stopped worshiping God, um, you know, did, did you know, a lot of evil things. But Ahaz is also the guy that Isaiah prophesied to um, 
when, when, um, well, I won't go too far down that path. That's taking us into Isaiah, and we're not talking about Isaiah. So Ahaz is an evil king. Things fall apart uh, for him, and then Hezekiah comes to the throne and kind of reestablishes uh, not only you know some power and some wealth, but also a much deeper connection with God. He really kind of cleans out the country and really gets people focused on, on God again. So between Hosea, Isaiah, and Micah, with those three guys prophesying, there's some, at least for a while, some effectiveness to their message. There's some of these kings and, and a lot of the people that listen and tune in and actually make some changes. Okay? It's kind of a biographical um, part of this. Any questions so far about all that? Okay. So, um, depending on, you know, what commentary you go read or what preacher you listen to or what blog post you read or whatever. There's all sorts of different um, opinions about like what's the main uh, theme of Micah. Uh, again, he's very similar to Amos in that one of the biggest issues is I guess what we would label as like um, social justice. That's, that's a big problem with the rich getting richer and taking advantage of the poor uh, obviously still you know, dealing with idol worship and things like that, but, but it's really about just people you know, cheating in business and, and, and judges taking bribes and all those kinds of things. He addresses that kind of stuff. Huh? I mean, there's some similarities you know, to today. Um, so for me, like the, the central theme, or I guess the, the, um, the key verse that... that I think the rest of Micah kind of centers around is a verse that's probably familiar to a lot of us. And it's in chapter 6. There's only seven chapters, but, you know, towards the end uh, in chapter 6, in verse 8, there's this very familiar verse, okay? Uh, Micah 6, verse 8, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. How many of y'all have ever heard that before? Okay. Um, and maybe some of you got it, you know, printed and, you know, put up on your house, you know, wall art or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazingly powerful statement. But you see in it, um, I'm kind of shuffling through some of my notes here. <clears throat> with, with this statement from, from Micah, or I guess God through Micah, you also see some of the things that um, that are causing <clears throat> sorry, I got something in my throat <clears throat> that are causing problems um, in the kingdoms of, of Israel and Judah at the time. Okay, so first of all, you know, what's the first thing he says? What does God want you to do? Okay, to do justly, act justly. Anybody else got a different phrasing? <laughs> to do justice. Yeah, do justice, act justly, do justly. Um, <clears throat> so what does that mean? In, in what parts, be fair in what parts of life? That's a good answer, but in what parts of life? <laughs> in everything that we do, right? Be fair with each other. Let me give you a couple examples that you just see in Micah. Um, of what God is addressing here, okay? Go back to chapter 2, Micah chapter 2. I'm going to have you all flip to a couple of pages here, or scroll there. Um, I'll start with verse 1. Micah chapter 2 and verse 1. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them. Uh, and houses and take them. They defraud a man of his home, a fellow man of his inheritance. So look at some of the description that Micah uses here. First of all, he says, when do you guys, when are people coming up with like the ideas of, of bad things to do? Laying there in bed at night going, what what could I do? And it's like, it's almost like, like they're thinking as they're going to sleep that night, what could I do wrong tomorrow? Which sounds dumb. Like who does that, Right. But that's how bad things seem to be to God with his people. That we're conjuring up ideas while we're laying down at night, at night of evil things we can do. And then when they wake up in the morning, what do they do? They go do it. I had this great plan last night, okay? Um, 
And in verse 2, he describes what's, what's some of what they're doing. Okay, they covet, they see something, and they want it for themselves. And then they go take it, okay? Yeah, and it's not just, they're not just working out deals. They're just taking it. I'm going to take this because I want it. Uh, they defraud a man of his home, a fellow man of his inheritance. And this, this goes all the way back to, if you read like around the Ten Commandments, if you go back to Exodus and Deuteronomy, uh, probably even some in Leviticus, where God is giving laws on how his people were to deal with each other, there were specific laws that God gave about, about land and property, and those things stay within your family, within your clan, and you don't go and, and you're not allowed to just take that from somebody else. And if, God even had laws where if somebody, um, you know, um, sold their property in order to pay off a debt or in order to, you know, buy food for their family or whatever, you could hold on to that property for six years, but on the seventh year, you had to give it back to them for free because God was very intentional about people having and keeping their family property. And it goes all the way back to when they were slaves in Egypt and had no property. And he's like, we're not going to go back to that anymore. My people are always going to be able to experience having something that's theirs that I have given them. Okay? So what's happening? They're taking this land. And are they, are they paying fair prices for it? No, they're just taking it. Just taking it. Uh, y'all remember the story in the Old Testament of Ahab? You remember King, evil King Ahab? Y'all remember that name? Jezebel was his wife. Yep. Awful, awful couple. Um, and Ahab, who was the king, had like in his, I guess you would call it his summer palace um, in Jezreel. This is in uh, 1 Kings, probably about chapter 19, 20, 21, somewhere around there. Um, he there, there was a guy named Naboth that had a vineyard that was right next to his palace. Well, he wanted that land for himself. So he goes to Naboth and he says, you know, let me buy it from you. Naboth's like, no, because why? It's been in my family for generations. And, he's, and he even offers him, like, I'll give you money. I'll give you better land. I'll give you a better vineyard. He's like, mm, no, this is my, this is, I'm like fifth, tenth generation person to own this. I don't, I don't want to give it to you. And so Jezebel conjures up this plan to have a bunch of people falsely accuse him of blasphemy and get him stoned to death. And then what does Ahab do? He takes it. Doesn't even pay for it. He just takes it. Oh, the owner of this property is dead. I'm the king. I'll just take it. And that is when God, in that moment, predicted, uh, you're going to die, and it's going to be a violent death, and, you know, went on from there. Because God was very intentional about everybody. It wasn't that everybody had to have everything equal, but everybody had to have something. And if I have something myself, I need to be willing to share that with somebody else. And if somebody else has just a little, I don't need to take it from them. Does that make sense? So, here in Micah, what's one of the things that's happening? They see somebody's home. They see somebody's land. They just take it. God's got a problem with that. Skip down to verse um, 9. You have driven the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing uh, from their children forever, okay? Same thing. They're, they're even these, uh, probably talking about widows who are still trying to hold on to the property after their husband dies, and they're taking advantage of them. Uh, go over to chapter 3. No, that's God speaking through, that's God speaking through Micah. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter 3, hold on. Verse, uh, where do I want to start? Verse 9. Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. So, a couple of things in there. What, what's God frustrated with his people about in the in verses uh 9 10 and 11 okay yeah taking the stuff and, and taking taking bribes you know i'll do whatever you want if you pay the right price mm-hmm. right right 
Yeah, we're fine. We got God on our side. Yeah. And he addresses both here because he, he talks about Israel, which, you know, was still present, uh, we assume, when he's saying this. Uh, and then Zion is, is another, um, just another name for the city of Jerusalem. So he's talking about Judah when he talks about Zion and Jerusalem. So both kingdoms he's addressing here. Um, but, you know, they're, they're defrauding people. They're accepting bribes. They're cheating people. And then even, even the people who um, are supposed to be speaking for God, even the preachers, their messages are based on what? Yeah. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to preach about? I'll, I'll prophesy anything you want me to if the price is right. Um, man, I hope there's not preachers like that nowadays. But I'm sure there probably are. Uh, but there's this, uh, it, it was happening so often, it was just kind of, it had kind of become part of the culture. That the guys, I guess, like Micah or like Isaiah, these different guys, there were other guys who were just saying whatever people wanted them to say if they paid them the right price. And then to say, okay, yeah, these things are bad, or there's some bad things happening, but, I mean, it's going to be fine. Because why? We're, we got God. We got this temple. We got, I mean, God's not going to let anything happen to us. And um, there's some of the other prophets that address this later. When, when Israel does get destroyed, um, the people of Judah, and they survive under Hezekiah, they kind of have that attitude. Like, you know what? Those evil people up there, I mean, they got destroyed. God's never going to allow anything to happen to us. Which he saved them for the Assyrians, but guess what? The next empire that comes along is the Babylonians, <laughs> and they're destroyed by the Babylonians. So we'll get to that on down the road. But there's this, I don't know if it's, I guess you could label it arrogance um, or just being naive. I'm not for sure, you know, kind of what adjective to put on it. I don't think that it's just just a brashness of of um, you know, just being that cocky that like nothing could ever happen to us, or just being that ignorant, for lack of a better word, and just or just assuming that no matter what, God's going to take care of us. And things, yeah, things have gotten bad, and maybe some other armies have conquered us some, but God's never going to allow us to be completely destroyed. So that gives me permission to go do what I want. And I address this sometimes. I used to address it a lot with teenagers when I was doing youth ministry, but we struggle with it as adults too. Sometimes we know some of the things we're doing are not the right thing to do. Uh, we know that some of the things we're doing are hurtful to us or to other people. And yet we still keep doing them, doing those things. And one of the reasons why, especially when you get into like addictions and stuff like that, is because we haven't hit rock bottom yet. And we kind of feel like, yeah, but it'll work out. Or uh, it's not that big a deal. Or, uh, you know, I want to do that. Yeah, but okay, that was hurtful, but they're always going to forgive me. You know, and, and, and this is kind of what God is addressing through Micah. Like the time is coming there's not going to be any more. There's not going to be any more mercy. There's not going to be any more chances. Your time is running out. That's kind of like um, people that were claimed to be Christians and have been baptized and all that. They go on doing whatever they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can we, we can treat it that way. We can treat you know God's grace that way, huh? Often we do. Oh, I'll just get forgiveness for it anyway. You know, um, and we treat our relationships that way. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Well, no, that's a hard question. Um, there are some people, and definitely some different denominations. I mean, this is when you start getting into, you know, uh, can you lose your salvation and stuff like that, which I believe that you can. Um, but there, but for people who don't think so, they would say, well, you never were really truly saved originally. Maybe that's getting into semantics, I don't know. But um, yes, I think that you can, if, if you just decide, even though you've gone through the whole salvation process and you know what it's like to be God's child and you know what it's like to have his spirit living in you and then you just decide, ah, I'd rather live this life instead and just willfully 
consistently choose to do something else, then, yeah, I think you can lose it, and I think there's awful consequences because of it. However, I think that um, the blood of Jesus covers an awful lot, even those times when I intentionally do things that I know I shouldn't. Does that make sense? I think it's more of a lifelong choice of that than just a one or two times choices. And I think that's what God is getting at here. This is, I'm describing your lifestyle. You guys are doing, are consistently waking up in the morning, choosing to do things that I do not want you to do. I, want, I don't want the people who wear my name to do those things, and yet you're going and doing it. And just eventually, I, we're, we're not connected anymore. We're not in a relationship anymore, and you're going to have consequences to deal with because of that. I think that's the same for us. Does that answer your question? Um, so I, I kind of got off track a little bit, but just, I mean, one of the big issues, I've showed you a couple of verses here, is just this, this injustice and this cheating and, and lying and conniving and taking things that don't belong to us. So going back to chapter 6, verse 8, what's one of the things that God wants his people to do? Act justly. Pe- treat people fairly. Uh, don't take advantage of people. Okay. Um, the second thing there is what? Act justly and then do what? Love mercy. Does anybody else have different phrasing for that? Love kindness? Okay. Okay. What are we what are we talking about when we talk about mercy or or kindness? I know those kind of seem self explanatory, but what what does it mean to to show mercy to someone, to show kindness to someone. Okay, they've hurt me, they've done something to me, and but I forgive and I let it go. Good. Anything else? Yeah, it's not just about have they done something to me that I'm not going to punish them for. What what do they need that I can provide for them? Yeah. Well, that's just awful. You're re- you are really bad about that. That's just terrible. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just simple kindnesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Lou? Yes. God shows mercy to us, for sure. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to church again, but you're showing her. And, and, and that's what I want to like, mercy for me, I always think about uh, not punishing someone, you know, and, and that is part of it. Showing kind of someone who deserves some kind of consequences, who deserves punishment, who deserves retaliation, and I don't retaliate. Uh, I show kindness instead. Uh, I don't give them punishment. That's mercy. But I think, uh, to your point, it, this, this Hebrew word would probably be translated better as compassion. I see a need that somebody has. I have the capacity to do something about that, and so I go out of my way to meet that need, whatever it is. It might be they need forgiveness from me, so I'm going to do that. 
It might be that they need something that I have, so I'm going to share it with them. It might be that they just need encouragement. They need companionship, and I'm going to provide that for them. It's a need that somebody has, and I'm fulfilling that need. That's, that's the compassion, that's the kindness, and the mercy that is being talked about here. Now, here's the key thing about this, though. What, does, what word does he put in front of that? What's the action word? To lo- okay, we act justly, but we love mercy, okay? Uh, how passionate am I about being compassionate? Yeah. Yeah. All right, enough. I'm not I'm not showing mercy anymore. You've had your chances. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? I mean, what, you know, how what what are we talking about? We love mercy. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Right. Mhm. I've been shown mercy. I should be. I should be showing it. You know, to other people. I think. Um, maybe this is just confession on my part. Um, I will decide who I want to show compassion and kindness to. And we don't. We don't like articulating it that way, but we kind of do, right? Like, okay, I'll, I'll help this person out. I ain't helping that person out. And maybe it's because of time. Maybe it's because I don't really like them. Maybe it's because I think they don't deserve it. Whatever it is, I make decisions about who I'm going to, d- to distribute my compassion and my kindness to, right? Um, maybe that's just me. Um, when we love mercy, that, that wipes any boundaries away. Now, hear me say, I think it's good to have healthy boundaries, uh, to not put yourself in a position to be abused or be taken advantage of. But even in that, how can I show compassion and kindness? Um, you know, when, when people need help, need a handout, need, you know, something from me, you know, is my initial thing like, uh, they're just, they're just trying to take advantage and they're just, you know, there's all about them. Or do I really think, man, here's something I have. They can have it, you know. Uh, and I think a lot of us, at least a lot of people in this room, we are kind like that. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm saying God tells his people, I want you to get to the point where you, you just love, you love the opportunity um, to, to show kindness. It's the same thing. Or similar, I shouldn't say the same. It's similar to when uh, Paul um, in Second Corinthians says that God loves a cheerful giver, and that that word um, cheerful uh, is I can't remember the exact Greek word. It's where we get the word hilarious from. That I am beyond excited for the opportunity to give, and he he says even the Macedonians they were asking Paul. Can we give to this thing that you're collecting money for? Please give us the opportunity. Do I have that kind of attitude when I see other people in need, whether it's a physical need, a monetary need, a, a friendship need, whatever it is, where I just I'm I can't wait to show kindness. That's what God is wanting for his people. Okay? Act justly, love mercy, and what's the third one? Walk humbly with God. What are we talking about there? Prudently, okay. Walk humbly, walk prudently. What does that mean? Yeah, I'm not putting myself 
up above that. I have the opportunity to help, but I'm not thinking to myself as better because I have the opportunity to help. Yeah? Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, remembering, remember where we came from. Remember who we are compared to him. Yeah. So there's, there's two things about this. One is, um, is uh, and maybe we don't pay as much attention to this, but if you're walking, there's action taking place, okay? Which indicates something about God, right? God is not passive. God is not just hanging out somewhere up in heaven and just twiddling his thumbs. God is active and he's moving in this world. And so one thing is I'm supposed to be active and moving and not just sitting and twiddling my thumbs either. But I'm walking with him. So me being with him, I got to have a relationship with him. I got to be connected with him. You know, I'm spending time in his word. I'm forgiven. I'm tuning into his spirit. Like I'm doing this really fast because we're running out of time. I'm staying in that relationship with him, but I'm doing it humbly prudently. Um, I'm recognizing, I, I guess I put it this way, I'm letting him drive and we're going to go whatever direction it is that he wants to go. And that might be the hardest part of this. Like, I'll walk with God as long as he's going the direction that I want to go. Uh, as long as we move to whatever state I want to move to, as long as he, you know, uh, blesses whatever job I want, as long as, you know, I'll put my list of demands out there. And if God puts a stamp of approval on all that, then he and I are walking together. There's a, there's a certain amount of surrender here, you know, uh, letting go of my own agenda, my own plans, or maybe even, I don't know, volunteering for stuff or doing some things that stretch me a little bit because I, I sense, I know that's what God is calling me to. That's who God is calling me to, whatever it is. Does that make sense? Walking humbly with God. Um, in the context of God's people that Micah is talking to, um, they felt like they had a relationship with God, right? We got the temple, we're offering sacrifices, we're going through the routine. But they also had their own agenda. I'm going to grab this property, I'm going to take advantage, I'm going to accept this bribe, you know. But I'm still, yeah, we're connected, God and I, we're close, we're good. I go to the temple every Saturday. You see, you see what I'm talking about? Um, it's a consistent relationship and it is surrendering my will to his. So that's the walking humbly part. Now, as we kind of tie a bow on this, why do you think that before he says, this is what God wants from you, which let me completely interrupt myself. Does anybody have a different word there besides require? Like I've got, what does the, the Lord re require of you? Does anybody have a different word for require? Does everybody say require? Okay, so that uh, Hebrew word, this, is, this wasn't Greek, this is ancient Hebrew that was written in, um, meant to, uh, to seek after, to hunt for something, to, to pursue something. I'm not pursue, but um, to search for something. I'm, I'm on the hunt for something. Does that make sense? So it's not, um, sometimes we read this and like, you know, it's, it's God's uh, checklist of requirements and what does God require. It's, it's not a, a requirement in that sense. It's more, I mean, we could ask it like, what is, what is it that God is searching for? As God is looking at his world, as God is looking at, at us, he's looking at me, what is it that he's, that he's searching for? He's searching for someone who, acts just, justly, uh, loves mercy, and is in a relationship walking humbly with him. That's what he's craving. That's what he's searching for. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, now, we got this here in verse 8. Why, why, is, why is that the question? What, what does the Lord require of you? Where did... <laughs> it's a horrible way to ask that question of the question. Um, let me just clarify. I'm sorry. If you back up to, hold on, I wrote it down. Same chapter. Uh, look at verse 3. Verses, um, yeah, we'll just start with verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? 
How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt, redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So what is God's question to his people? Before this question in verse 8. Yeah. What? <laughs> and he says, how, how have I burdened you? Why would they feel like God was burdening them? We got these sacrifices, we got these rules. I want this land. Why won't you let me have it? All these you know, stipulations and, and all this laws that you're putting on me and it's weighing me down, it's burdening me. And what's God's question? What, how have I burdened you? Look what I've done for you. I set you free. I set you free from slavery. Not only that, but when other people wanted to slaughter you, I protected you. How in the world have I made your life worse? Is this not what parents sometimes feel? <laughs> Having conversations with their kids. You just, you know, and like, how have I made your life worse? Look at what I've done for you, right? Sometimes we feel that about maybe our employees or just different people who just, who come across like we are such a burden to them. But look at what good I'm doing for you. This is where God's frustration is. We're choosing these other guys and we're choosing this other lifestyle. Why? Because this lifestyle that God's having us live is too much. See you later, Daisy. Could be. I don't know if that's happening at this point because that really takes place more after they've been um, in Babylonian captivity and come back because then they're scared about that happening again. So then they start putting on a whole lot more laws and rules. Uh, this is more, I think, just looking at the nations around them and what, what those gods allow versus our God uh, and what the laws of those people allow versus, versus our God. And so if you read that, especially verse 3, how have I burdened you? Have I weighed you down? How have I, how have I made your life worse? Then you read verse 8. Okay? What, what is God saying here then in verse 8? It's not a gigantic... I know there's the law. I know there's the law of Moses. There's these rules, these regulations. But overall, what am I looking for? He said, what does the Lord require? Is the Lord searching for sacrifices? Is the Lord searching for making sure that you keep the Sabbath exactly right and all that kind of... Now, is that stuff important? Sure. Is that what God is searching for? No. What is God searching for? People who are fair and just and compassionate and walking with Him. If they would do these things, guess what would happen with all those other laws and regulations? They just fall into place. Guess what happens for us nowadays? When we, I mean... People outside of church and outside of Christianity are like, God, so many rules and regulations. And what is it that God wants from us? What's, what's the two rules? The two greatest commands. Love him and love other people. The more that we do that, what happens to all the other rules that we see in Scripture? They fall into place. Yeah. So 1,300 years ago, God tells his people, this is all I'm looking for. I'm not trying to make your life worse. This is all I want from you. Uh, and they're still, they still struggle to make it happen. So that in a nutshell is Micah. Is there more there? Absolutely. It's only seven chapters. You can read through it. Uh, I will say this. I, I, I neglected to mention this earlier, but um, Micah has mentioned one time, one other time in scripture um, besides um, you know, here in his own book. And that's in Jeremiah. And I, did I write it down? It's in Jeremiah. I'll tell you real quick, and then y'all can go. Jeremiah 26 uh, and verse 18, when Jeremiah is prophesying, and, and Jeremiah prophesied probably mm, close to 100 years um, after Micah, but he's saying some really harsh things, and people are, have captured him and want to kill him for saying things on behalf of God that they didn't want to hear. 
And somebody steps forward and says, you know, Micah was prophesying during Hezekiah's time and said things that people didn't want to hear. And they ended up listening to him and making some changes. Maybe we should do that. So even after Micah wasn't around anymore, people were still looking to him as an example of somebody who, you know, said the hard things uh, and, and, and caused some changes in people's lives. So anyway, that's any, any quick questions or comments, anything about Micah? I know we just answered all of it. I mean, we got them all figured out. Um, it's, well, thanks. It's a, I mean, I know we went through just that verse 8 for the most part, 6 verse 8, but there's some really good stuff in here, and I would encourage you to take, you know, won't take you probably 10 minutes to read through. It's, it's a short book, but there's some good stuff in there. And, um, oh, gosh, I keep thinking of things I was going to tell you. The final thing, Micah in Hebrew, that word, that name, uh, means um, who is like Yahweh. And Yahweh's, you know, the, one of the Hebrew names for God. I forgot. I'm so sorry I didn't show you this. In chapter 7, at the very end of Micah, verse 18, after he said all this stuff about, you know, here's all the things that are going wrong, here's what God's going to do, but he, there's, there's hope at the end of this. God's going to, even though God's going to punish you, God's going to restore you, okay? Um, and he says in verse 18, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of, of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Um, it's, a, it's, it's just a cool thing that I guess Micah does or whoever wrote it down this way that his name means who is like our God, and he ends his prophecy, or at least the writings of his prophecy, with that question, who is like our God? You know, it's, it's calling his own name to, to the forefront and saying, but there is nobody like our God. Nobody shows compassion and kindness and forgiveness like our God does. Okay, I'm done. I'll stop talking. Y'all can stick around as long as you want to, but I'll, I'll turn the camera off and, and we can visit some more. Thank you for being here.